Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to the show. Coming up today, Deepak Chopra is going to be joining us. Actual Deepak Chopra, he has a new book out. It's called Living in the Light. This is his 80-something book. 90th. Is it? 90th. Definitely his 90th. Yeah, I'm going to go for triple figure. Okay, yeah. well, happy birthday. Happy, happy. Not that he does time. Not that he does no. birthdays at all. Uh, because he says there are four different ways of, of ageing. One is chronological to do with the calendar. Uh, one is biological to do with, you know, your, your makeup and your wellness. Uh, one is spiritual. And I can't remember the third, but I'm sure he will. Because he remembers everything. He's so clever. He's so clever. Uh, I love um, this book. Uh, it's it's fantastic. It's a book of two halves. So he's written it with Sarah Platfinger. Now, he practices yoga every single day. He meditates for two hours every day when he gets up. He then uh, does yoga for 90 minutes and has done for as long as he can remember. And he's got um, a brain the size of the biggest elephant. Right. So so he, he really does practice not so much what he preaches or, in fact, what he teaches, just what he talks about. Um, and... It's it's clearly so good for you. You know, he says uh, mind um, is, is one thing. Fine, that's sure. But body over mind is most useful. He talks about the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve. Um, by the way, which gave birth to our word vagabond. I didn't know that because it's a bit of a rascal. You see the thing? And, and the way you can't really... The vagus nerve controls... Or controls, but has an influence on every single thing in our body. And the best way to 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 get in touch with the vagus nerve, make friends with it, is yoga. All right. So so to get beyond the mind, you get into the body. Um, to get in touch with what's going on inside you. So we have um, what is it? Uh, we we have twenty five thousand of our own um, sort of uh, genetic cells. Um, we have two million uh, microbiotic cells, and they're not ours. So, so you can't change the cards you dealt with, but you can change what you do with them. So yoga helps you do that because your mind can't do that because your mind always overplays its hand and isn't as good as you. It's, it's, it's great. It's its great own PR, your mind, but your microbiome, they're not even you. So what you do, because they're, they're, um, they're um, by... Uh, Biotics? No, they're not biotic. No, they're... Um, what are they? Uh, Anyway, they're, they're whatever they are, but they're not fr- they're not from us. Um, they're they're independent of us, and so they have their own lives. So they're 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 like, okay, what's what are we being fed today? What's the what's the routine today? Uh, what's the play for today? And if you change that, then they are so influential um, that they will help you out. So they're your own army of helpers. That's what's going on there. Um, and yoga is a great way to do all that. And then he goes beyond yoga, which is asking yourself who you are every day. And then that's to do with consciousness. And, um, <laughs> and he'll talk more about it. Uh, he, you know, he specifies this six weeks, uh, six weeks sort of regime you can get into. He, he deals with the mindset 
of the six weeks. And then his friend, Sarah Platfinger, deals with the actual yoga, the physical yoga. So he de deals with the sort of um, mental, mindful, spiritual yoga. Um, and he's got, it's just brilliant. You can just dive into it any way you like. Like the practices for clearing toxins is, is in here. You know, seven, seven easy things to think about and to do like today to clear toxins. The practices of peace. Don't create stress for yourself and others. Look for areas of agreement instead of areas of discord. Take responsibility for your own anger and resentment. Don't unleash them on other people. Get out of the habit of blaming others. Be aware of your impulse to judge, criticise and get offended. Don't indulge in the impulse. Whenever possible, distance yourself from hostile people and hostile situations. If you literally just rip that bit out of the book, stick it on your fridge, you know, or photocopy it and stick it in a few places in your life, on the dashboard of your car, you know, in front of your face, you know, from your favourite the peak of your favourite cap. If you just do that, mm. your life will become immeasurably better. And that's just that. That's just like, that's a third of page 24. Absolutely agree. I think anybody who wants to make any sort of change or to improve, as you said, doesn't have to be bad to be better. This book is just an it's absolute... Amazing. The practices of being yourself. Stop comparing yourself to others. Don't depend on other people to validate you. Set aside the criticism of judgment of others. Get beyond self-judgment. Accept who you are and appreciate what you have to offer. Give everyone the space to be themselves. Assume that all people are in their essence are whole. Again, bang, you know, absolute gold. And this is just these are just footnotes at the end of pages. And the practices are so simple and so easy. And once again, you know, I really don't agree with everything Deepak Chopra has said. And I've read, I'm in the 20s. I've read 20-something of his books. Wow. Um, but I'd still love to, to, be, to hear him. I'd love to watch him. I'd love to see him going a bit crazy on stage, uh, you know, in various debates. Some, some he does well in, some not so well in. Um, but, you know, what he has to give you, take the, take the best of what you think he's got to offer and your life will become immeasurably better immediately. You don't have to wait. There's no lag here. Just get into it. Uh, in other news today, um, Star Wars Mark Hamill lends Luke Skywalker voice to Ukrainian air raid alert. That's a nice thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. Mark Hamill has offered his Star Wars persona to provide familiarity and strength to Ukrainians amid the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war. They say the only mercy of war is a swift end. It's not been swift, but let's hope um, that can become the case this year. US teens say they have new proof for 2,000-year-old mathematical theorem. This is interesting. Back to Deepak. Deepak's got a few issues with Einstein, let me tell you. Oh. We, we've only got him for half an hour. Got beef with Albert. There's so much I want to get. But many people, like many modern, because it's been long enough now, you know, of Einstein being here and coming up with his general theory of relativity, for other quantum physicists to say, I actually don't think it was right, the old general theory of relativity. Because what's happened is it's, it's been applied to potential hypotheses, uh, theories and formulas going forward to help scientists, you know, prove their um, th theories, their ideas. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't work in lots of cases. And now there's so many really clever scientists who've come up with things that think, well, this should work and I need to adopt or integrate Einstein's general theory of relativity to help me to get where I need to go because he did all the heavy lifting for us. And none of them can get to where they want to go. And there's this sort of rising murmur now. It used to be a whisper, it's a bit more, of like, maybe it's wrong. Maybe string theory's not right. And there's one guy who's very vocal about it, you know, and uh, as always, he was, he's been ostracised because, uh, I mean, if, if it is wrong, <laughs> you know, he said, and we talked about it the other day, didn't we? We talked about the fact that somebody said uh, this early 70s, Elton John's Crocodile Rock was the number one. And they said this, this, this issue first, first, um, first appeared around the same time as Elton John's 
Crocodile Rock being number one. And he said, the movement from then to now to do with this theory, either going backwards, forwards or just changing, which he would do anyway, because that's what happens when you get really clever people doing the same thing for a long, long time. Things move on. This has been stuck. And he said, it's like Crocodile Rock still being number one. It's the same. It's the same. Very good point. And of course, there have been many other number ones. So, and they, everybody's going, why hasn't this moved on? Oh, no, we don't, we're not talking about it. Einstein's still the man. Come on, he looks like a scientist. We know that. He's had that mad hair and he used to ride a bike and used to laugh uncontrollably <laughs> through the streets of wherever. Um, so that's that. Uh, Daltrey, I hope I don't retire before I get old. Uh, the Who will keep rocking until they drop, says Roger Daltrey. Well, you know, we had Roger on Car at Carfest with us a couple of years ago, and he was 77 then. He's 79 now, and he gave it all the beans on stage and off stage and all the time he was there. He didn't save himself. Jimmy Young, when he used to work for Radio 2, you know, as he, as he, as he went into his more senior years, he used to save everything for the show. You know, he was very quiet. He was very fragile. He's brilliant, by the way. But he used to come in and he'd barely, you know, he'd be talking like this. And then he'd hit the air between 12 and 2 and, and he'd, he'd save everything he had for that two hours, which is absolutely fair enough. But Roger doesn't need to do that. Flying from the moment he wakes up. Uh, AI could replace the equivalent of 300 million jobs. Paddington Bear, immersive experience open in London. Oh, that's cool. It's very cool. Wow. It's very cool. Paddington Bear has inspired a new large-scale interactive experience in London. So this is one site less that Alex <laughs> needs to look at for Taskmaster. I'll let him know. The Taskmaster World. Yes. What's it going to be called? Taskmaster? Don't know the experience. Taskmasterverse. <laughs> the Masterverse. The task that's what it is. Yeah. So anyway, so they've taken up this location. Okay. Okay. Amateur Australian gold digger finds massive nugget. First portrait of King Charles. Uh, the third is released. He's off for his first... Gone to Germany. It was supposed to be France, but Since... that got postponed because of civil unrest over yeah. the pension reform. So yes, he's touching down in Germany today with Camilla. Right, so he, was, so, so he wasn't going to go to Germany from France because he was due to be in France earlier this week. I think it was supposed to be France and then into Germany. Right, so France Germany's is going like... to be the first stop. So Germany's not been called off the subs bench? No. Because no, 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 no. Germany wouldn't like that. No. But it's really significant. I think he's going to be the first British monarch to address the parliament in Germany. Great. Uh, meatball from Long Extinct Mammoth, created by Food Firm. <laughs> Very much. Oh, master artist used egg yolk in there. Plan to overcome humidity issues. I'm flying through these now because way over time. Man accidentally buys 60 pairs of reading glasses after misreading the order. Uh, we... <laughs> Come on, these oh, are very good. <laughs> Woman in legal fight over whether she won £10 or a million pounds lottery prize. Is that also to do with her reading glasses? Yeah. <laughs> Same story, isn't it? Yeah. Same tent, different desert. Woman in who's embroiled in a high court fight over whether she is entitled to a national lottery prize of £10 or a million pounds. Did anybody win the Euro Millions last night? It's £14 million, wasn't it? It always goes back to 14 when somebody wins the jackpot. Radio 2, Radio 2, DJs furious after bosses ban their pets. Why are we doing that? What do that for? Um, I'm eight years old and love climbing up scale the equivalent of Mount Everest eight times already, says a young hiker. And all new homes could be required to have solar panels. Um, hints, Ed Miliband. Ed Miliband's back talking about stuff. It's good, isn't it? Uh, you've got to say, you've got to say that the Tories, uh, the government, um, they've had their banning meeting, haven't they? Because they're just banning something every day now, aren't they? They're having a banning week. Mm. I think we need to ban some things. People might like that. They might vote for us again if we ban some stuff. Sorry, I, can't, I just can't help laughing at this stuff anymore. It's not going to make a scrap of difference. I love it when you all go quiet on this one. I know, I'm just waiting <laughs> for you to follow through. Well, no, because the thing is, you know, it's it, there's so much going You have to change everything. We've talked yeah. about it last I week. Know, that's... We talked about it last week, that if, you, if all CO2 emissions stop at midday today... It's 100 to 105 years until the temperature goes back down to what it was at 11.59am today. Yep. You know, 
All new homes must have solar panels. It just, it oh, does... that's, that's all right for the couple of new homes that are going to be built tomorrow then. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's fantastic to have solar panels. We don't have solar panels. I wish we did. We should have them. We should find out about them. But all our roofs should be white. All our roads should be white. All our air put should be white. All, you know, all the massive roofs of all the massive warehouses that people continue to build because everything's bought online now and you have to be able to store everything that you say you have for sale, you know, so you do have it for sale. All those roofs should be white to reflect the sun. We know all this, but none of it's happening. <laughs> but but Ed, Ed Miliband said, well, if we get power. So the Tories are banning everything, yeah, and Ed Miliband's saying solar power, solar panels on roofs, that, that'll do it. Well, it no, I don't <laughs> think he's saying it'll cure global warming, but it's another step in the right direction. It's like recycling. We don't it's, have to. It's not a step. It's a tiny step. It's not even a tiny step. It's a little step. No, it's, it's not a step even a step. It's not a shuffle. Well, I mean, look, we do the recycling. <laughs> we put the recycling out every Sunday night. It gets collected on a Monday yeah, morning. But we know about recycling. That if you recycle all your pizza boxes, if they've got a shred of pizzas on them or oil or grease, you can't, where they get to when they're going, they're not recycled. They're not allowed to be because you've got food on them. It contaminates it. It's all poppycock. It's all rubbish. I think they wash them. It's literally rubbish. <laughs> It's rubbish, rubbish. You think they wash them? What they use, use loads of water, do they? That's a good idea. No, I don't think people mind a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, Uncle Tim's pizza in their loo roll. Who's Uncle Tim? Yeah, Uncle Tim. When did he, he come out? Why does he like pizza so much? He does like a pizza, Uncle Tim. Who is Uncle Tim? He's Uncle Tim. He, he he's recycles. Uncle? He's is he Uncle, Uncle Tim. Paul? He recycles his pizza boxes. There's a little bit of pizza stick to sell on them. Sometimes he... Who is he? It's a little bit of pizza <laughs> on my side. I'm Goes Uncle to the Tim, plant. I'm coming for a ride. Goes to what? the plant, gets made into loo roll or kitchen roll, and nobody minds a little bit of Uncle Tim's pizza <laughs> in the loo roll. Look, it's all well-intentioned. Yes, exactly. Ain't going to make a scrap of it. Yes, it is. It's not. Well, it's just not. But then let's all stop doing everything. Okay. Nope. <laughs> I will continue to recycle. No, so and... do we. We recycle and we take pride in it. We've got the three bins in the kitchen. Mm. We've got the four bins in the drive. We even have a food bin for food waste. So we can put just food waste in there. So so that's what we do. And That's that the goes... most important, apparently. The food waste bin. Is it? Yeah. All right. From what research? Uh, Uncle Tim you... said. Uncle Tim said. Yeah. All right. So it's Uncle Tim. I really want to meet Uncle Tim. <laughs> So do I. I can. I can sense the like. You remember Ask Jeeves? Is this your sort of? It's still around. Ask alter Jeeves. ego, Vassos, Uncle Tim. Ask ChatGPT. What do they think about Uncle Tim? Okay. Just ask ChatGPT who's Uncle Tim. By the way, by the, I didn't catch. This is unfair. I'm not going to say it. In fact, I've already said it, and it's not true. I was going to say I caught Noah using ChatGPT three to help him with his homework yesterday, but I didn't catch him. He said, Dad, look at this. ChatGPT3 is really helping with my homework. So what he's doing is he's writing this thesis or something, what he's doing. And um, he, he said to ChatGPT3, um, uh, he said, um, what would be five useful things to think about whilst writing this essay? Which is completely allowed. Yeah. And ChatGPT3 came up with these five amazing things. Um, and then Noah went on from there. I think it, so, so when we were giving masterclasses, uh, for 500 words. So when we were touring UK schools with 500 words with the BBC Education um, Network, what we did was when we had storytelling um, um, masterclasses, we used to take in this hamper and we take this hamper in front of a load of school children. And um, we used to get them to stand up and we said, OK, would you like to tell us a story? Uh, make up a story. Let's make up a story because we wanted them to write 500 words in the end, a 500 word story. And so we said, let's have some fun coming up with some some. Sorry, some little tales. And so they would stand up and they, they'd, go, they'd say, and kids, you know, amazing imagination, not worried about hopefully being judged as much as the rest of us are, uh, and, you know, as we get older. Uh, but they would all, not all, but mostly freeze. 
And this was sort of, we knew this would happen. And so then we'd open the hamper and we'd invite the kids to the front of the stage and we'd say, right, why don't you pick three things out of the hamper? And then one would be like a, a, a panda and one might be a digger and, so, and one might be a triangle. And the same kid would pick the, oh, these three things up and there's loads of things. In th and we said, OK, why don't you make a story up about um, a, a panda um, playing the triangle whilst um, trying to buy a tractor for, her, for their fun because it gives you a starting point. And that's what ChatGPT3 did last night to Noah. And so I said, Noah, uh, ask, ask ChatGPT what would five really interesting things be to talk about on a radio show tomorrow? Ooh. What did it say? Well, it gave me 10 for a start. Great. And then um, Dan the decorator shouted down from the stage. He said, yeah, no, ask it for, ask it for a, a, a bulletin of good news, right? And then uh -huh. he said, I'm not just making this up, and you are going to do a bulletin now. He said, for Rachel, <laughs> right? <laughs> Thanks, and, Dan. And so, he get, so, so ChatGPT4 gave Noah a 10 news story bulletin that was true at that time, last night, at about 20 to 4 in the afternoon, and then Noah read it out. And it even said, after night, it said, and finally. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, and it can do voices as well. It can, can do my voice. It could do anybody's voice. Amazing. By the way. And it doesn't want Mondays off. <laughs> Congratulations to Scotland, who beat Spain last night. Very briefly, Vassos. Scott McTominay, Manchester United's own, scored both the goals. And it was, you know, it was, it was really one of the great Scotland results. And what it means is, in Euro qualifying, top two in the group go through. Scotland are in a group with Spain, obviously, and Norway, who are a decent side. They are three points, two matches played, three points clear of Spain, five points clear of Norway. Come on, Scotland. Nice one, Scotland. Earlier on today, it was hair and makeup by Bulgaria and Greece. And we were caught on the air, you know, mid-act, mid-hair and makeuping. And so we filled a bit of time. Um, uh, so one of our makeup artists uh, is Greek, and she began to sing the Greek national anthem, <laughs> I heard her. Um, which was lovely. And then she had to stop because she became overwhelmed. <laughs> um, she gets too emotional when she sings her country's national anthem. And she was only like two lines in. I was really moved by the fact she was moved. Is that what happens to you when you sing at Vassos? Yep. Go on then. Yeah, the, the Greek national anthem. I, I don't want to because I get overwhelmed. <laughs> she was pesky, wasn't she, earlier in the week? She tried to t tell you to tell me a rude word on air. <laughs> yeah, let's not try and change the subject. Do you not know your own national anthem? Yes. Go on then. The Greek, I just get overwhelmed. How come you don't know the Greek national anthem if you're Greek? But I've, never, I've never had to sing it. Yeah, but you are Greek. You're actually Greek. Yes, I am. 100% Greek. <laughs> How does it? I could just sing a song no. in Greek. Okay, then go on. Off you go. <laughs> Fine. Sing Wake Me Up Before You Go Go by Wham. Go on. Xipnisame, prindafiyis. Xipnisame. If I play the Greek national anthem to you, yep. may it sort of it trigger might jog. the words. Yeah, it might jog. Something about Eleferia and something else about No, no, don't know. Nope, nothing. I got nothing. Are you actually Greek? Well, I sometimes wonder that myself. Do you know the words to the British national anthem? Yes, Sorry. I do. 
Yeah, yeah, because I've heard because I was born here. I've heard that sung a lot. I support England at football. You know all of that. Uh, if England play Greece, both teams. Well, when um, Beckham scored the amazing free uh, kick th- th- on that stage, England had much more riding on it. So I was uh, I was in Portugal and I was don't very. Bring, celebra- don't bring Portugal into it. It's not their fault. <laughs> very very celebratory. So I was desperate ve- for that. Very ve- very. <laughs> Is that Greek for very? Yeah. <laughs> He's fluent, isn't he? Yeah. Absolutely. All He's over fluent it. in something. Would you like to know who Uncle Tim is? <laughs> we are on camera, Chris. Yeah, we are. All right, so um, we talked about a story on yesterday's show to do with this woman claiming uh, her cat has a Scouse accent. No claiming about it. Stating. Um, a very liver puddly and meow. This is the cat in question. So, um, this cat is Phineas, called Phineas, and Phineas lives in Australia. And there's a video to go with that, of course, because that is audio from the video. And we put the video of this cat, Phineas. Phineas? Video Phineas up on TikTok. And um, we got a million hits on TikTok. Um, So, goodness knows um, what the owners may have had. Uh, well, let's find out. Let's talk to Colin Anderson, who is the owner of Phineas and another cat. And Colin is an American who lives in Australia. Good afternoon. Good evening, Colin. Good Good evening from Sydney. Good morning where you are. Oh, my goodness Thanks me. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And now, you, just, you don't just have the one cat. You have two cats. Uh, it's not just you. It's you and your partner. Tell us a bit more about your situation, your, your feline familial situation. Yeah, so we have two cats, uh, Phineas and Tyrion. Um, we recently moved to Sydney uh, to take uh, academic positions at the University of Sydney. We're both um, neuroscientists, neural engineers here. Uh, we adopted uh, Phineas because I work on uh, diseases of the cerebellum academically. I do research on that. And Phineas was born with a, um, a, a disorder called cerebellar hypoplasia, which means that he's uncoordinated. Um, he has a huge personality, so people have just kind of... Um, fallen in love with him online it seems like so it wasn't a, it wasn't a coincidence that he was um you know challenged from a neuroscientific point of view you heard about that and you felt there was literally a meeting of minds there between you and, and phineas <laughs> yeah so uh we actually we found him on uh cats of instagram page um about six years ago and uh at the time he had just been born so all cats are kind of clumsy at that age so we didn't realize that uh, there was anything uh, going on, so but we started following uh, his his foster mom's page, and then when it came out uh, a month or two later that he wasn't developing normally and uh, lacked normal coordination, we reached out and asked if we could adopt him, and so we ended up adopting him. So, and then they asked us to make a page for him, and it kind of blew up. So, all right. And did you already have Tyrion, or is it was Tyrion post? Was it was it AP after Phineas? Yeah, we had Tyrion uh, about a year before we had Finn. Okay, so that was BP before Phineas. That's cool. Yeah. And now Phineas has 200,000 followers on TikTok. Well, that was at the last count, you know, uh, but over 7.2 <laughs> million likes. And so because of his his uh, his challenge, he, what he's challenged by, the condition he's challenged by, obviously that adds to his character. It's a superpower in other aspects of his being. Is that right? Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, the cerebellum is interesting. So it's people primarily think of it as a kind of a motor coordination center of the brain. I like to think of it as something that fine tunes what's going on in the rest of the brain. So instead of just fine tuning motor coordination, it has a little bit of role in um, behavior as well. So we think that that probably impacts his behavior to some degree. 
And of course, this helps your message, doesn't it? To to get what you do research and are, are sort of committed to and passionate about out there into the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, we like to do some public neuroscience posts here and there, and it's um, we can reach a bigger audience through that means than we can just by um, publishing papers and whatnot, which probably doesn't get as much uh, viewership as um, putting up a video of Finn. <laughs> because, you know, when the internet really took off on youtube you know the cat video it was everybody said oh you know it's i'm i'm spent all day i'm spending all day watching cat videos but that that was a thing and one can understand why you know again from a sort of um behavioral um science point of view you know uh, and a slash neurological point of view why why do you think as humans we might be mo most fascinated about watching cats and be amused by them online what why what does that say about us Oh my gosh, you're putting me putting me in a, a spot with a hard question there. Um, I mean, honestly, I think cats are just uh, really cute. Um, makes you feel good to watch cat videos. So I, I don't know that I have a better explanation for it than that. But funny, funny cats are adorable. Everybody loves that. All right, cool, super cool. Sorry about that. Sorry for putting you on the spot, but when I get clever people, oh on. no, 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 you're good. It's just a, it's it's a, it's a deep question. <laughs> okay, cats over dogs. Uh, we, we unfortunately lost our dog to cancer. Uh, she was scheduled to move with us and, uh, we lost her, um, shortly before we traveled here. All right. So sorry, it's a bit of a downer on the show. No, no, that's mad. It's real life. It's okay, man. It's cool. Um, well, I'm sorry to hear about that. May you enter the world of uh, canines again. May the canines and felines come together on your, um, familial rug in your living room some, at some point in the future. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Cool. Um, and you talk about neuroscience, you talk about biomedical engineering, is it true, yeah. and I hear it is true from people like Harvard and Stanford and places like that, that the biggest thing right now, um, the biggest circus in town, and that's not sort of um, uh, deriding it at all, is in, in um, bio, uh, biomedicine is, or biotechnology is psychedelics. Is that, is that really exploded now? Um, it's, it's interesting. I, my, my, my view could be that, uh, probably, I don't really do research on that myself, but my view is that, um, there's probably legitimate benefit. Um, and I think that people are doing really good quality research on that. Uh, I think that it's one of these things where, uh, people like to grab a hold of the story and think that it's going to be a, a cure all for everything. And generally speaking, that's never the case. Um, but I think that there's real potential there. Okay, cool. Uh, now, your wife's name is, it's spelt Daria, but we don't say it Daria, do we? Yeah, it's Daria, that's right. It is Daria, okay, great. Um, yeah. And you're not at home at the moment, so she, I presume she is. Are you away, are you working at the moment? Are you away from the, the family for work? I, I'm, I'm actually in my friend's car on the way to a track and field uh, at the moment. <laughs> cool. Track and fear. So he keeps healthy as well. Healthy body, healthy mind, healthy mind, healthy body. Um, so how, how is Phineas at the moment? And, you know, how's Phineas' well-being? Uh, is Phineas happy generally? Is there anything we can do for Phineas? Yeah, no. You know, he's a really happy cat. Um, he, uh, he went through a big ordeal to move out here. Um, Australia has a um, pretty sensitive biosystem. Um, uh, um, so basically they, they have high levels of biosecurity, so it's pretty hard to import a pet here. So he and Tyrion went through uh, 10 days of quarantine. Uh, they were really happy to see us again. Um, they seem really happy here in Australia. I think they really enjoy their life. Um, in general, I would say Phineas is actually the happier of our two cats. Tyrion's a happy cat, but Phineas is like an almost excessively happy cat. He's just <laughs> in a good mood all the time. Um, he just he doesn't let it get him, get him down at all. Have you heard of the show Ted Lasso? 
Uh, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it, unfortunately. Okay, but when you watch it, you will you will realize that Phineas is the Ted Lasso of the cat world and Ted Lasso <laughs> is the Phineas of the human world. You've got to watch okay, it. I'll All have right. to check it out it's now. It's very yeah. life-affirming. And uh, do you, do you, can you recognize at all um, the, the fact that Phineas may have a Scouse accent. Do you understand all this? What's going on? I I had to look it up. I have to admit. Um, <laughs> so I understand that that means that he seems like he's from Liverpool. Yes. Um, perhaps like uh, Paul McCartney or something. <laughs> That's right. Your cat sounds like Paul McCartney. Let's leave it there. <laughs> uh, Colin, thanks for joining us. Have a great track and feel. Give our love to your yeah, family. Absolutely. Thanks uh, for having have me. Have a wonderful life. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> she loves you. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> On the way, Deepak Chopra, bliss over stress, meditation over medication, peace over overwhelm, instability and nervousness. And if all that fails, jump onto the internet, YouTube, Instagram, and get some cat videos in your life. Yeah, for any dogs listening, hey dogs, you really need to up your funny, okay? Cats are out funnying you massively. Felix says, um, Felix himself a very famous cat, Felix the cat. Felix says that his dog's very funny. Amy, his Labrador, is very funny. Mm. Labradors are quite... They're more comical. They're more sort of... Are they not buffoons? Yes. Yes, buffoons. You're going to... Buff- I can't say that because I don't own one. You own two. Yeah, they're both buffoons. They're, they're hilarious buffoons. Right. One of our Labradors... Um, it's recently, yeah, <laughs> recently, so I, I threw I threw a tennis ball for our elder lab Holly, and she knows because we were in the local park where there's a basketball pitch. She needs she has to go round the fence mm-hmm. and get into the tennis court, and then where she can go at the basketball court, where she can go and get the ball. The other one thinks, well, I can't really keep up with her because I'm still a puppy. So I'm going to go a straight line to where the tennis ball is, and uh-huh. I'll see if I can get there first. But there's a fence in the way, oh, okay. and she's straight in the fence. Like and a then deer. She, yeah, and then and 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 fine. Then she picks herself up and goes round the way Holly went round. Yeah. And on the way back, uh-huh. she thinks, I can get back to Vassos as fast as Holly if I just take a straight line. So yeah. she's straight back into the fence. Mm. I mean, I mean, four seconds later and she not, still hasn't learned. But that's that's not, buffoonery plus plus. But yeah, but are we talking about funny? That's um, quite, it was also quite it's, funny. Uh, mostly stupid. Yes. To be honest. Oh, yes, but so funny it's stupid. It's like, I don't know. Dogs, the dog equivalent of slipping on a banana skin. So funny, stupid, you mean so stupid it's funny. Mm. You meant the other way around. Yeah. Okay. Does it work for sports presenters? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I am the Labrador of sports Tell presenters. Tell us about Uncle Tim. Uncle Tim. So we asked, you know... I, you, I, you made up Uncle Tim. Because I, I, I backed you into a corner. Who is a Uncle Tim? We were corner. talking about uh, recycling pizza boxes. Yes. And I said, you know, Uncle Tim... Um, recycles his pizza boxes and you know he sometimes there's a bit of grease left but it's fine because and nobody said, minds Uncle Tim's recycled pizza boxes contaminating their recycled right, and you plucked Uncle Tim out of the air who is Uncle Tim I asked chat GPT version 3.5 okay I'm sorry I cannot provide a specific answer without more context Uncle Tim could be la 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 so I then told chat GPT that Uncle Tim recycles pizza boxes but he's worried that the grease left on the pizza boxes will prevent them from being recycled. Yes. Based on the context you provided, it seems that Uncle Tim <laughs> is likely a nickname or a reference to someone who is concerned about recycling and specifically the proper disposal of pizza boxes. It then goes on to say that you might be right. Pizza boxes can't be recycled in some instances when they still have grease on them. But says ChatGPT version 3.5, Check with your local recycling centre and pats me on the back for my general 
willingness to recycle, which she says, or she says, or it says, is important. Isn't it true, though, that the, the, the term carbon footprint uh, was created uh, by a genius that worked for a petroleum company mm. to guilt us all into... Um, realising we have a carbon footprint, we don't want to talk about that, uh, we also don't want to project project that onto anybody else because they might say, oh, well, that, yeah, you can talk about mine or my company's, but what about yours? Because we all have one, which meant that we would it would actually close down the conversation, the carbon footprint conversation, by existing in the first place. It was reverse psychology. And isn't it also similar that almost, you know, drawing from that playbook that a plastics company um, introduced the idea of recycling into the UK to, to make us think we could do something about it so it would take the heat off the fact that they were still making loads of plastic every morning. Yeah, uh, those are both true. We have found them out on this show in the past sort of six months or so. But... <laughs> The carbon footprint thing didn't work because I offset my personal carbon footprint. You can, you can pay a bit extra to your electricity bill to do that. So that's fine. So that didn't work. What about your BS footprint? Yeah, that's How are you going to offset that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to introduce that phrase into the <laughs> vernacular. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Vassos, give us an intro like no other. He's the best-selling author of over 90 books in more than 40 languages and give him six weeks and he can get you all blissful and whole. His latest book, Living in the Light, Yoga for Self-Realisation, is out now. So forget a night at the opera. Let's spend a morning at the Deepak Chopra. <laughs> yeah. Good morning, Deepak. Good morning. Chris. How are you? I'm great. How Just are you? lean in a little air if you don't mind. Um, yeah. Very well, thank you. Have you meditated this morning already? I have, and I've done two hours of yoga already. So tell us about your usual morning regime. I wake up around five. I do about two hours of yoga and meditation, and then the rest of the day I do what needs to be done. All right, so this book, uh, Deepak Chopra's Living in the Light, your 90th book, oh my goodness. I, I was reading about your first book recently, the one that you, you self-published for $5,000. That's right. Can you just give us like 60 seconds on that book and, and why it was so pivotal in your life? I tried to publish that book um, through a regular publisher and no one accepted it, so I read an ad in the New York Times and I wrote it. It was Creating Health, The Mind-Body Connection. I think it was the first book of its type. And then so, but what, the story, the, the book, then, then the book did you a favour. You wrote it and then the book did you this massive favour because this uh, female student took some copies and put, it, put them in the student bookshop and then somebody bought a copy. Yeah, a young boy bought it for his mother. She was an agent. She called me and she said, why don't you have a regular publisher? I said, because I tried. She said, how much did you pay for it? I said five thousand. She said, "I'll give you the five thousand. I'll get you a regular publisher, Houghton Mifflin, big publisher." Next thing, it's a bestseller. I'm getting calls from Jackie Onassis and other people to join other publishing 
uh, houses as an author. So you wanted to get this different way of thinking out there, this different message, this alternative, the optional way of thinking, if you like. You didn't force it on anyone. And so from trying and struggling to get it out there, suddenly you were given sort of one of the loudest hailers in the publishing land, you know, as a New York Times best-selling author. How quickly did your life change? How did it change? What effect did that have on you? How, how much did you have to sort of step back and reflect on what was going on so you could remain present? Well, you know, I was at that time, I was a neuroendocrinologist. I just finished my training and I was looking at the molecules of emotion. So this was a breakthrough that, uh, you know, every emotion that you have has a biological effect. Now we have a science, it's called epigenetics. Every experience actually turns your genes on and off depending on how you're feeling. It's not just the genes. You have 25,000 genes that you got from your parents. You have 2 million genes, which are bacterial. But their activity is determined by the experience you're having. So right now, the genes in your frontal cortex are going on because we're having this conversation. But those who are listening to us, their genes are also being turned on yeah. and off in their brain. This is remarkable. because This shows that information is very much part of our of our biological processes. If you tell somebody they have cancer, they immediately go into panic, their body gets inflamed. The next moment you tell them, no, it was the wrong diagnosis, immediately they change. So every experience, doesn't matter what it is, perception, sound, touch, sight, taste, smell, thinking, eating, breathing, digestion, metabolism, elimination, thoughts, feelings, emotions, desires, aspirations, memories. They're all turning your biology on and <laughs> off amazing. instantly. And you talk about the fact that the 25,000 genes we get from our mom and dad that the cards were dealt. But that, it's about what we do with those cards and these two million other genes in you know, the microbiome. They're, they're, they're our army and we can corral and muster them as we wish. And if we have the better plan we have, the better work they'll do on our behalf. It's also fascinating. It is it? fascinating. So you get up in the morning, you do your meditation, you do yoga. So I don't yoga. I have yoga and I do want to do more yoga. And after reading this book, I really, really want to okay. do more yoga. And bizarrely, we had a yoga retreat at the weekend. It was like amazing. But um, but I do meditate. Now, I meditate in the morning and the afternoon. I have done for ages and ages and ages. Probably about 40 minutes a day, 20 and 20. Different kinds of meditation. Sometimes guided, sometimes not. Sometimes TM, depending on what I feel I need. Sometimes eyes open, eyes closed. It makes me feel amazing. It's like food for the soul. It, I, it, I feel lighter. I feel more in control, but, but don't feel controlling, all that kind of... You know what it's like, you know, mm -hmm. stillness is the key and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. What's it like when you meditate for two hours a day? I mean, how does that make you feel? Actually, I meditate also before I go to sleep. I do something called yoga nidra and I meditate on the what it would be yeah. to have the experience of death. Yeah. So I'm 76 years old. My next chapter is going to be death, yeah. even though I'm in good health. Yeah. And so I go through all the eight steps that I mention in the book, uh, which is reflect on social, emotional intelligence, do a little breathing, of course, yoga, then withdrawal from the senses, then meditation, uh, mantra meditation, also interoceptive awareness, and then finally, transcendence. It feels like you're there, even if your body and your mind are not there, yeah. you still exist. You, so you know, if you imagine your death, 
you still exist as the one who's imagining it. Memento Mori. Yeah, yeah. yeah very important. So I practice Memento Mori. I'm all farty. Uh, I do yoga nidra. And what people may not know, uh, if, you, if you hear the word yoga, you think, oh, postures, postures. Yoga nidra, you lie down. You don't That's move. Right. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't That's it? Right. You move your attention. That's right. Uh, which is amazing within itself. Um, so royal yoga. You talk about royal yoga. You talk about the mind, the body, and the soul. Um, is it... Uh, I know it's very dangerous to be general, but we haven't got much time. Um, it's always mind. It's always body over mind, isn't it? In the end, they're the same thing. Right. The okay. mind is what you experience subjectively. The right. body is what you experience objectively. But they're both different parallel expressions mm. of what we call awareness or the soul. Okay. Um, yoga doesn't care about. Uh, the mainstream or about how you have lived in the past. I'm reading now from Deepak's new book with Sarah Platfinger. It's a book of two halves. Sarah takes care of the second half. Deepak looks after the first half, then comes back at the end. It's called Living in the Light. Um, yoga doesn't care about the mainstream or about how you have lived in the past. In the worldview of yoga, the infinite is always with us. In fact, it is our source. Can you speak more to that, please, if you don't mind? Yeah, if you understand the source of experience and when all the fluctuations of experience, which are sensations, sense perceptions, images, feelings, and thoughts, when they settle down, what you end up with is your soul, which is a field of infinite possibilities. It's unpredictable, it's creative, it's self-regulating, it's evolving, and it's timeless. There's no, It doesn't occupy any space, it doesn't have a form, and because it doesn't have a form, it is infinite, and it's you. Yeah, and you can't you can't lose it. It can't be taken away. No, it in, wasn't in, born, in so it can't die. In the yogic tradition, we say water cannot wet it, wind cannot dry it, weapons cannot shatter it, fire cannot burn it. It is timeless and not subject to death. Right, so here we are. It's March 29th, everyone. Okay, by the second week of May, you could have nailed this book. It's six weeks, and it's simple. Um, Social Intelligence Week 1, which is really interesting. This is Thich Nhat Hanh's um, uh, territory, isn't it? So so we, we exist, therefore we be. You know, we are beings, therefore we be. But actually we don't. We interbe because we interbe with everything and everyone. And that's that, that passes a lot of people by. And it's a, lot of, it's a mistake that lots of us make. But if you bear it in mind, it makes everything so much more comprehensive uh, or comprehensible and therefore more bearable and therefore it takes the pressure off and then you can get your breath back. Interbeingness is the matrix of existence, matrix. So that word is related to mother, time, measurement, meter, music. So it's the womb of creation. Yeah. The womb of creation is interconnectivity. The separate self is a socially induced hallucination. Oh, I love it. Um, so this is week one, social intelligence. So we read a bit of social intelligence, you get your first mantra. I create the peace that surrounds me. So you close your eyes. I create the peace that surrounds me. I create the peace that surrounds me. If you just say that, you know, with the in-breath, with the out-breath, uh, and then you, you say it quietly, and then you say it more slowly, and then it disappears, but it's still it's still there. It's just that calms me down so much. And this is the thing, isn't it? And then after a while, you don't have to say it. You don't have to say it. Yeah. And there, there's the stillness. There's the stillness. And there's the answer yeah. that can't be written down. But that's right. Patanjali, who is the original author of all yoga, he says, when we are established in peace presence, all beings around us cease to feel hostility. Yeah. 
And you say, don't you, if there's one question you should ask yourself every day, it's who am I or what am I? That's right. But the answer, you sit on the answer, you sit with the answer, but the answer, it's like the Tao, isn't it? The Tao that can be named is not the Tao. Correct. You can feel the answer, but you can't articulate the answer. Yeah, other than you realize you're not the body, which is a changing experience in you. You're not the mind, which is changing experience in you. Everything changes except you. Do you think that that's why when people um, have taken part in a yoga class like I witnessed at the weekend, they look when they finished, I didn't take part in it, I was looking after the kids outside to keep them quiet. And everybody else, some who'd never done yoga before, they finished, and the ones who had, and Kirsty, our wonderful teacher, they all looked lighter. They visibly looked lighter. And I wasn't sort of under the spell because I wasn't in the class. And in a way, I was more of an independent observer. And they all came out, and they looked, they looked more ethereal. What, what happens? Well, biologically what happens is you stimulate a part of the autonomic nervous system, which is called the parasympathetic nervous system. The dominant nerve there is the vagus nerve, which is related to the English word vagabond. It's the healing nerve in our body. It influences your eye movements, your facial expressions, your heart rate variability, your breathing, and also influences self-regulation in your hollow and solid organs and including the microbiome. And the vagus nerve has bi-directional traffic, so from the brain to the body and from the body to the brain. What you saw in those people feeling lightness and exhilaration is what now we call the rest, rejuvenate, and repair response in opposition to sympathetic overdrive, which is driving the world crazy right now. Absolutely, because they didn't... They they looked the opposite of how the world is portrayed too much too often too loudly you yeah, know uh, yeah. with, with all this a pretense of signal but there is in fact just noise yes yeah, noise and it's the fight flight reactive response which was appropriate at one time in our evolution when we were living in the jungle wanted to escape a tiger who wanted us for breakfast <laughs> for the Chris Evans show. And so we needed that. Okay, but now we don't need it in a traffic jam. And actually, sympathetic overdrive is the cause of violence too. Everything from war to terrorism to people uh, getting stressed and feeling threatened inappropriately. Of course, there are occasions where you need to use that response, but most of the time it's just melodrama. What's interesting about everything you're saying, especially the vagus nerve, is that you can't, we can't tune it, we being this bag of bones, um, you know, skin and bones, but, but the real us can. And that's what yoga is, isn't it? So it's tuned from the outside in or from the everywhere in. And it, to the extent that not only can it change the, the pigmentation of or the appearance of the pigmentation of our skin and the, the whiteness of our eyes and sort of the relaxedness of our being, but also the tone of our voice. It is absolutely the conductor of our orchestra. Correct. The vagus nerve interacts with the oculomotor nerve, and so you can look at a person's eyes and see if they're lying, telling the truth, anxious, relaxed, in love. Same thing, we have 43 facial muscles and over 100 different emotions, which can now be read through face recognition, eye recognition. The tone of your voice also reveals... Whether you have a hangover, you're happy, frustrated, mad, angry. Yeah. And so when you correlate these activities with heart rate variability, immune function, endocrine function, you see that the body is working 
all at the same time. This is non-local. This is means, you know, these days you hear the word entanglement, which is not used in biology, should be. You should wonder how come a human body can think thoughts, play a piano, kill germs, remove toxins, <laughs> make a baby all at the same time yeah, yeah. while tracking the movement of stars and planets as your own biological rhythms. This is, you know, multi <laughs> multitasking to the extreme. And you can't do it consciously. Only yeah. your only your awareness, your consciousness can do it. And it helps you to to um, to to get in touch with, um, not discover because it doesn't have to be discovered because it's already there. It can be uncovered, can't it? Because we cover things up. I know you talk about you know when a, a baby uh, asks what picks up a leaf and asks asks mummy and daddy what is this, and we say it's a leaf. And what we should really say is we call it a leaf. Yeah, we call it a leaf. It's an experience, as an experience. It's a color, it's a shape, it's a texture, it's a smell. It can even be a taste. Yeah. So that's the experience. Now, when we actually give meaning to the experience, then it becomes a leaf or a hand or a body or a star or a galaxy. We construct the universe and our body-mind in our consciousness. That's a very uh, startling thought for most people because they think, you know, there's the world and there's me. No, the world is in you. Yeah, I mean, I am with you on this. So I, I've, I've, I've accessed. I don't, I don't know what the right words. It doesn't matter. Um, I've accessed certain states for moments of bliss. Right? Not many, but I know what it. I know what it tastes like. I know what it smells like. I know what it feels like. And in those moments, there is no separation between there's you no and anything. There's, there is no. There, are, there is no Milky Way. There is nothing. You know, there's no tables. There's no chairs. There's no um, Lionel Messi. There's no Taylor Swift. There's no Deepak Chopra. <laughs> It's, it's a really strange, but it's an unbelievably beautiful place to be. And it's always there. It's just that sometimes we leave it. So they say, you know, you know it's not about, about the way home. Home is the way. Home is the way. And it's the essential spiritual experience or what we call the religious experience, not religious dogma or ideology, the experience. And there are three components to the experience. One is what you just described, transcendence. The second is the emergence of platonic values like truth, goodness, beauty, happiness, joy, equanimity. And the third is the loss of the fear of death. Now, if you have those three experiences, you're all set. <laughs> See, now I, I don't have fear of death, yes. but I have fear of life. Yes, because life <laughs> is actually what life does is it squeezes you into the volume of a body and the span of a lifetime, which is the perceptual artifact. It's crazy though, isn't it? And we talked about Edward Munch's The Scream the other day because as a human, you just want to scream all the time yes. because it's so crazy being a human. Yes, that we exist should be a perpetual surprise. Yeah, and, uh, you know, again, lots of people who you like and revere and I, so I read about, you know, you probably have known most of them in your life. You know, they say even when bad things happen, it confirms that you're alive. It confirms and there's an opportunity for growth. And sometimes that confirmation is more prevalent because you can feel pain more than you can feel joy. And so joy is enjoyed, but pain is marked. It becomes a mark and it becomes an opportunity and or a reason or a stepping off point for improvement or, or discovery or curiosity yeah all experiences by contrast if you didn't have pain you wouldn't know what pleasure is if you don't have an up you wouldn't know what a down is right don't know hot cold so every experience is through contrast so contrast is good comparison not so comparison is uh, ego driven contrast is actually 
who we are. You know, we are we have both the divine and the diabolical, yeah. the sacred and the profane in us. And were it not for this contradiction and ambiguity and paradox, life would be very boring. So duality also not great, but polarity fine, because that's what you're talking about, the, right. the pluses well, and the minuses. Yeah, the polarity, uh, you know, is how you interpret it, yeah. basically. It's interpretation, but as I said... You can't have an experience without contrast. Now, you can transcend the experience. When you transcend, there's no experience. There's just you. And you can't have perspective without a point of reference. No, it's ineffable. Okay, great. Okay, so let's, can I fast forward to week five? Okay, so once again, uh, we're, we're talking about living in the light and everything to do with Deepak Chopra and Sarah Platfinger. This amazing book is out now. It's, it's, it's bliss over stress. It's peace over um, overwhelm, instability and nervousness. It's meditation over medication. It's all those wonderful things. Uh, staying in the light, week five. It's all great, by the way. You've got to get this book. It's great, right? Royal yoga is a journey to reach the ideal life. This part of the journey, the limb of yoga, is Pratyahara. The fifth limb, known as Pratyahara, is the turning point in this journey. How come it's the turning point? Okay, so, you know, normally our senses are directed outward. Pratyahara means withdrawal of the senses, inward. So when the senses are withdrawn inwards, you have the opposite of perception, which in today's bio biological sciences is called interoceptive awareness. We learn how to regulate our bodily organs early in life. We call it toilet training. So you can control your bladder and your, and your bowels. And you learn it very early. But the yogis say, why did you stop there? Right. You could have done that with your heart rate, your blood pressure, your endocrine function, your immune function. You can regulate your bodily organs. You can increase peristalsis. You can slow it. You can change your body temperature. These are yogic powers that we all have. They're dormant potentials. And Pratyahara then leads to what's next, which is Dharna Dhyan Samadhi, focused awareness, meditation, and transcendence which actually opens the door to what are called non-local dormant potentials. So, you know, these days, a lot of people talk about psychic powers. I don't like the word myself because these are actually inherent dormant potentials that exist in all of us. Yeah. And so looking at the future, knowing the past, um, uh, extrasensory perception, uh, these used to be thought to be, you know, really strange or not even not even possible but actually they are they're part of our inheritance spiritual inheritance every spiritual tradition talks about these by the way but most people because they haven't experienced them they think oh this is super normal it's not it's it's the dormant potential all of us have. When the meteorites, and we think it's the me a meteorite wiped out the dinosaurs. Correct. Right. Okay, so that, well, that was a, a, quantum, a seismic event that happened and it changed things forever. Okay, what happened? Because, because this is, we, you know, you, you alluded to the fact there that some people think this is woo-woo, right, in modern times. But this comes from ancient times, so it comes from us. So there was a blip, there was a meteorite that exploded and, and made us question this or covered it up for a while and it's now slowly being uncovered because this all works. We know it works because we do it. It's very hard to explain it to people who, who've never experienced it and it's, that's, a, that's a strange conversation to have and it's one that sometimes isn't helpful. Um, but what happened, do you think, for us to stop doing this in the first place? Well, we got, Chris, the only thing is we got bamboozled by the notion of matter. 
and actually matter is a superstition. It's a convenient superstition because we do science on the assumption that the material world is real. But what we call the material world is an interpretation of human perception and perceptual activity. So perceptual activity is unique to every species. What does the world mean to a, a insect with a hundred eyes or a oh, bat who knows the world I through the this. echo of ultrasound yeah, 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 or yeah. a snake that navigates through infrared? Yeah. So there is no material world, but it's a convenient human construct so we can do science and create technology and make radio stations and these broadcasts. <laughs> but the reality is there's no matter. There's only consciousness. Thank you for including us. It's interesting, isn't it, that we have two eyes facing forwards because that's part. I mean, don't you know? Don't get me wrong. You know, sight is a superpower. It's a wonderful thing to have. But when we close our eyes, we actually then get 360 degree vision, don't we? We do if we transcend, particularly. Yeah. Um, because when you close your eyes, you can't see nothing. You can see something. It's no, just your you eyes can... are like a lens, yeah. and you know it's like a telescope or a microscope, depending on what you want to see. If you focus your eyes on something small, then it becomes a microscope. If you look at the sky, it becomes a telescope. It's a, the eyes and the brain are neural correlates of awareness or consciousness. This is very radical to those who are, uh, whose ontology, the ontological primitive for them is matter. So, you know, it works to do science and yeah. create technology, but if you want to know truth with a capital T, you have to question that. <laughs> and you can't measure it because it's infinite. It's infinite. It's formless, it's spaceless, it's incomprehensible, actually. And some people freak out if they can't measure things. Yeah, well, the measurement, again, is the collapse of a, of a probability wave into a specific outcome. Yeah. So what we call information is, uh, is the resolution of uncertainty. But the more you are actually comfortable with uncertainty and unpredictability, the more creative you are because... You know, otherwise you become a biological uh, robot. Well, you distract as well. And you, you become have, an algorithm. Yeah, you don't have all of yourself to yourself. Yeah. Um, you are a great advert for yoga, for meditation, because you're, are you 74 now? 76. 76? Yes. Wow, even better. You've, you've, you've rarely looked as well as you do now. <laughs> Thank it's you. my birthday on, on Saturday. Right. But that's my chronological birthday. There are other ways to, to judge our age. There are four, aren't there? That yeah, you, well, you there's about. biological age, the chronological yeah. age, there's psychological age, and there's spiritual age, which is timeless. Which shall I go for? Spiritual. Which <laughs> shall I go for spiritual? <laughs> the spiritual age is actually ageless body, timeless mind. It's funny, isn't it? Because age is a number. It's only a number. Uh, but it is useful in a way because it is a metric that we can feel, we can feel better than I suppose, um, I think, but I'm not sure. Well, Chris, right now we know that less than 5% of disease-related mutations are fully penetrant, which means more than 95% are influenced by experience, lifestyle, sleep, stress management, vagal tone, uh, emotions, relationships, social and physical environment, all these your biological rhythms. So if you can, and the 5% that is genetically programmed, deterministic, Soon we'll have technologies for that too, CRISPR, gene editing, and so on. So ideally speaking, 
you should be able to live a long life healthily and die in what the Eastern spiritual traditions call the big meditation. It's called Mahasamadhi. Mahasamadhi, cool. Um, so much more I want to ask you about, but we're running out of time. Um, your granddad was amazing. You had an amazing 24 hours with your granddad, didn't you? Yes. Tell, tell everyone the, the, the craziest 24 hours anybody could probably have with their grandfather. Well, you know, when I was about six years of age, my we got a telegram from my father, who was in England at that time, that he had been uh, inducted into the Royal College of Physicians. My grandfather was very excited. He took us to the movies, carnival, out for dinner, and then in the middle of the night, he died. Next day, they took him to cremation. He was brought back in a bunch of ashes and... I wondered right then, why do we exist? What happens when we die? That started my journey. <laughs> sorry, age six years. And age six years old. What a what a fun! I mean, I'm really sorry that your grandfather died, but what an amazing 24 hours you had with him. Mm -hmm. You know, it was all in there, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. so, um, Dad was a doctor. Bro, bro was a doctor. Yeah, bro, brother's a doctor. Still, He's still a, around, Harvard, still with us. Harvard Medical School. Yeah, um, and Mum was just a wonder. Yeah. She was a great storyteller, wasn't she? Great. So you've done your homework, Chris. Yeah, well, I, I like to. I like yeah. to try. Yeah. My mother was a storyteller. My father was a medical doctor, cardiologist. Actually, he was here in London at the Royal Hospital for many years, the London Heart Hospital. Um, but that was in the 50s. Yeah. No, a long time ago now. Yeah. How do you feel today? I would say a joyful, energetic body, loving, compassionate heart, clear mind and lightness of being. Right. And for a man who, who did LSD, smoked scotch, sorry, smoked and drank scotch Absolutely. back in the day. Yes. You're, 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 it's experimental, experimental, it's experiential. Um, you know, uh, the great thing about yoga is it doesn't judge you. No. no yoga is, uh, means union, union with yourself. Most people bow think they are their selfies. <laughs> We've sacrificed ourselves yeah. for our selfies. Yeah, it's crazy, eh? Are yeah. we going to be okay, do you think? Things gonna Not be sure, okay. but with war and eco-destruction and climate change and extinction of species, mechanized ways of killing each other, we are sleepwalking to extinction. I think it's time to wake up. That's why we need yoga. It is time to wake up. This book is brilliant. Uh, tell us, we've got, we have a minute left. Tell us about Sarah Platfinger. She's my yoga teacher. So she does all my physical training and I'm very She does a darn good job. She's done a good job, yes. <laughs> How did you meet her? Uh, the studio is right next to my apartment in New York. So right. many years ago, I walked into the studio and that's how it happened. All right. Um, if you can leave us with one thought today, what would that be? Be surprised that you exist, that we exist as a perpetual surprise. And awe and wonder and mystery is the most divine experience we can have. Thanks for coming to see us. Thank you, Chris. You're always welcome. Thank you. Okay, that's it. Um, Rach, is she okay over there?
That was a privilege. Are we blissed out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know Sadhguru, by the way? Tell me you yes. know Sadhguru. Yeah. He's great, isn't he? Yeah, he's great. Oh, I love him. All right. Just before we go, uh, never forget Tibet. Deepak is a dear friend of the Dalai Lama, and there's a premiere this evening of the film Never Forget Tibet with uh, Deepak uh, tonight, which opens next month at Everyman Cinemas. Uh, when it's closer to going on uh, national distribution, we'll mention it again. We'll get someone to talk about it. Once again, that's Never Forget Tibet. Deepak is a dear friend of the Dalai Lama, and there's a premiere this evening of the film Never Forget Tibet. Goodbye.